Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeal Sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by our Tiger basketball beat writer, Jason Munns. Uh, the time has arrived. We've, got, we've gotten where uh, we've been. The date we've had circled for a while now. Memphis has reached it unscathed for the most part. They've done what they needed to do, what they were supposed to do, to set up a gigantic regular season finale against Houston. Um, we've got a lot to unpack on this episode episode of the tiger basketball podcast because since we last joined you um memphis got screwed by kelvin sampson in the aac memphis beat cincinnati and usf on the road to uh extend to create a record winning streak against aac teams they've won six games in a row they've never done memphis has not done that previously as a member of the aac uh they've won nine of ten they're on the next four out in, in Joe Lenardi's black bracketology. Um, and they've got this game at Houston. It was supposed to be at FedEx Forum. We'll get into that in a second. But a game at Houston, number seven Houston, with um, a whole lot riding on it. The biggest game Penny of the Penny Hardaway era. If Memphis wins, they've got a real good shot at making the NCAA tournament. If they lose they're going to have to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament more than likely. So it's never been bigger stakes under Penny Hardaway. It's never been more clear under Penny Hardaway um, what has to happen. Um, so just a, a really dramatic week uh, we've got ahead of us, Jason. And, a, and a, just these are the types of games you want to be playing in March. These, these, you know, like ultimately, especially when you're a team that started six and five, and had to rally and figure out how to get to this point. Um, it's been a heck of a run by Memphis, um, and it, the question now is: Can they can they cap it off with that signature win over Houston? Um, Jason, I guess let's start here. Um, what about this six-game winning streak? The nine wins in ten games. Um, their return from the COVID pause over the last week and a half, what about it make, it gives you the most encouragement that they can pull this off, that, that this Memphis team can beat Houston on Sunday. All right. Here's what I want to talk about. Oh, I don't, I don't think Penny Hardaway is getting enough credit for the job that he has done, the adjustments that he's made, the things that he's had to deal with. You you laid out a lot of it already. The COVID pause that was, you know, their own doing. I mean, not not as that's not probably the right phrasing, but it was it was their positive tests. Uh, 
the COVID pause that was due to positive tests by other teams that resulted in, I don't even remember how many postponements that one, that one was, it was four or five games. It was four. It was 19. I just remember it was 19 days for the first one and 18 days for the second pause. Yeah. And okay. So So they were off 19 days in January and 18 days in February. Crazy. So, so there's that there's also the slow start uh, where the offense uh, looked bad. Um, And, and it doesn't, it's still not breaking the, you know, the blow. It's it's actually a good offense other than the turnovers. I mean, it's actually like, the fact that they're able, like last night when they played USF, they scored 72 points, 73 points, 73 points. 73, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With 19 turnovers, yeah. with over a 25% turnover rate. Like you have to be really good offensively to score more than 70 points when one out of every four possessions, you're just throwing the ball away. Or so, you gotta, or you gotta force the other team to commit eighteen turnovers and out rebound the other team by like thirty or fifty or ninety or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, so, so, but no, I get you. I get your point. It, yeah. it, it, the and 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 it goes back to my point that Penny has done such a really, you know, and it's not just him. It's it's him and his coaching staff and his team. But but given the hand that they've been dealt and the way things started, they have done a tremendous job of of adjusting and adapting and um you know just just doing things just just changing things here and there growing learning uh progressing i mean you know for so long we talked about how especially through those first 11 games i know i talked about it a lot about how they it wasn't that they were just staying like put they they were regressing in certain areas well they have flipped that script in my mind and uh, are have progressed a, a tremendous amount. The other, you know, something else that that the whole team sort of had to adjust to was welcoming DeAndre Williams into the fold uh, seven games into the season. I mean, that's not easy. I mean, certainly he's a good player and you want him, but to to bring somebody in midstream in a manner of speaking, that that that's you know that takes some adjustment as well. Um, and, and more recently, they, the loss of Alex Lomax, and they've sort of overcome that by guys stepping up like Boogie Ellis and, uh, and others. I, I mean, it's, it's, and to me, it all, it all goes back to, you know, Penny's, Penny Hardaway's the head coach, the head coach, um, much like other, much like all coaches, they, they get the blame when things are going bad and they get the, they should get the praise when things are going well. Well, and to that point, I just think this 10 game, you can break it down. Like the first 11 games, like however you want to put it, like Penny was not getting the job done. And and I don't say that in like being super negative, like ultimately the team wasn't getting better. They weren't responding to what he was trying to do. Um, They didn't look right. It just didn't look right. The first 11 games and over these last 10 games, he's done a fantastic job and you can look and it's, and, and, and I say that saying, it's not that he was like, he probably wasn't doing that much worse of a job the first 11 games. It's just he's he's hit on the right buttons. And I think there's yeah. some very clear uh, things you can point to in that, you know, we all were making jokes about the lion offense. And now everyone's like, oh, he put in the lion. It's great. In reality, what he did is, yes, he installed this lion offense. If you watch them, 
they don't use the lion offense that much. Right. They, it's what they did, especially on that first COVID break where they could practice is they installed a whole bunch of stuff. And what you've seen both offense and defense and yeah. on offense, it's created more motion. It's created better looks offensively. It's created better, you know, more uh, defined roles. Like the, they, they know offensively, they're still not a juggernaut. Obviously the turnovers are, you know, they're the turnovers are terrible. I mean, they're the worst team in the country in non-steal turnovers. Um, they're just terrible. But yeah. they know when they can when they can avoid a turnover, they're actually pretty good. They know where they want to get their shots. They know now who should be taking the shots for the most part. Um, they just, you know, sometimes they can't get out of their own way with the turnovers. And then yeah. defensively, he's, you know, I think this defense, this team – is a better defensive team than last year's team at its peak because this team can play so many different defenses. And this team is, is more in the vision of what Penny wanted in terms of like what he wants his program to be known as. He wants to be a team that's in your face, full court, creating turnovers. You know, sometimes these announcers call it sloppy and it is sloppy, but I think some of it is by design. Like yeah. they want you to get, they want that herky jerky hectic style because it best suits these players. Um, and so I think he's done some very uh, impressive things in that regard. Penny has installing all that stuff and create and kind of lean finding and figuring out this team's identity and really leaning into it so that you can, so that you can kind of offset some of these glaring weaknesses. Cause the reality is they've gone on this run, even though the free throw shooting has been horrendous the entire time and the turnovers have been horrendous the entire time. And I think that, you know, that's a little bit because ultimately these nine wins in 10 games, these six in a row were all games. They were quote unquote supposed to win. Um, but I also think that's an achievement in and of itself winning nine of 10 that you're supposed to win. That's what when, good teams do. They win. Well, the not just that. When you look back at Memphis teams that have fallen short, their issue has never been beating Houston or, or it hasn't normally been like last year. They beat Houston. They got the Houston win. The problem they had last year is they lost these inexplicable games from time okay. to time. And the fact that this team has avoided that, you know, you can look at it, you know, I guess if you want to look at it, like that's what they're supposed to do. They're favored in these games. They were favored last best two games or three games since they came back. Like they were favored to beat Tulane, Cincinnati and USF. But there's 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 it takes a certain skill level. It takes a certain uh, emotional state to do what they just did and win with your back against the wall, win as many games as they just reeled off, no matter who the competition is. And so I, I just think he, he, you know, he, he had to find, it's not that Penny is a better coach now than he was three months ago. It's that he had to find what this group, figure out what this group was good at and then accentuate that. Yeah. And I think he's done a great job doing that. I think yeah. he's, he's done a great, and he's put that and it's put them in a position now where when and they and there's a good chance they're in and there's a good chance they do what we said at the beginning of the year which was 
Doesn't matter how you do it. Doesn't matter how you get there. The goal for this season, for this team, for this program is to get to the NCAA tournament. And they put themselves in a position to go and do that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, to something else that I was thinking about just now is we were talking about the, the adjustments that have been made in the last 10 games and all that stuff. Do you realize that they are five points away from being on a 12-game winning streak? Like, the two losses that they have in the last 12 games uh, are by one point at Tulsa and two points at SMU. Like this so three team, points away. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah I got like, it. Like five points yeah, away. Five points. Yeah, 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 I got you. I mean, like that. That I don't know if that's uh, impressive or not. I don't. I mean, I think you can look at it either way. You know, if it, you can look at it, you can. Well, look at it. well, you can look at it this way. Like honestly, like if you look at their resume, if you just take out the home loss to Tulsa. Yeah, and let's say you beat Auburn, you get one non-conference win. They're probably like a ten seed in the tournament yeah. right now, you know. Yeah. Like, and it's not you. Like, neither of those things are like you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to to change those results. They should have beaten Auburn, and frankly, probably do if they have DeAndre Williams and Tulsa. You know, they had to play extraordinarily bad offensively to lose by one point to Tulsa. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the other interesting thing, so yesterday after beating USF and, and another dominant defensive performance, hold USF at one point in the first half to no field goals over seven and a half minutes. Um, they moved up Jason to number one in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So it's interesting. I, I went and looked it up. I was looking up some previous teams that finished number one in defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. Okay. And yeah. it's an interesting exercise because, and it makes you wonder if the AAC is, and not just wonder, it makes me believe the AAC is being undervalued by people nationally. But so here's, so here's the, here's the numbers. Memphis is number one in adjusted defensive efficiency uh, as of Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they're 159 in offensive efficiency, and they're number 41 in Ken Palm. So keep that in mind. One, 159, and 41. All right. You so so to I was going. I was like, okay, what's the what's the most recent example of a number one team in defensive efficiency um, who had an above 100 uh, offensive rating, offensive efficiency? And you don't have to look far. Last year, UVA was number one in defensive efficiency and number 234 in offensive efficiency, okay? So they were good almost uh, 80 or 75 spots below Memphis in offensive efficiency last year, UVA was. They were number 42 in Ken Palm, so one spot below Memphis. They were also a number seven seed in the NCAA tournament. With basically the exact same, they were number one in defensive efficiency. Now, I will point out, they were a better number one defensive efficiency team than Memphis. Like, they're a full percentage point better than Memphis defensively last year. But they're also 75 spots below them in offensive efficiency. Um, And a similar Ken Palm number. And again, seven seed. Whereas Memphis is, uh, as best we can tell, I know some uh, there's four brackets 
out of 116 in the bracket matrix that have Memphis in, in the tournament right now. But for the most part, it seems like they're considered next four out or at best uh, first four out right now. Would you would you agree? Yeah. Um, So that's I mean, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. And then, you know, I was looking back and, you know, the last team to finish number one in defensive efficiency and not make the NCAA tournament is 2010 USC was number one in defensive efficiency, number 267 in offensive efficiency. They were 77 uh, overall in Ken Palm, and they didn't make the NCAA tournament. By the way, 2006, Iowa, number one in defensive efficiency, number 154 in offensive efficiency, Jason. So that that was the most – the closest comparison to Memphis right now is 2006 Iowa. That Iowa team was number 21 in Ken Palm and a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So what's your, t- all right, let, let's just look at it this way. Let's say that Memphis's uh, Ken Palm ratings on offense and defense uh, efficiency don't change that much based on the result that ha- whatever the result is mm-hmm. against Houston doesn't change the, um, the statistical rankings of the, the those two stats. Mm-hmm. Uh if they beat Houston, it sounds like that. They're, I think I mean, they're going to. I think if they beat Houston, I think they're going to feel. Pre, you're going to feel pretty good about their at-large chances. I hope. Like least. the like what I'm the leap that I'm making they, is that here's what I'd say. Here's what I'd say. I don't know if you, if we if the reality is if they beat Houston and don't get the auto bid. Like I, I think the reality is you're going to be sweating bullets on Selection Sunday in that yeah. case. My argument would be. If they beat Houston, they should be in. Like, they should. But because of the perception of the league, I think it's affecting their – I think it's affecting them. How high do you think they climb in Ken Palm if they beat Houston Sunday? Uh, I mean, I think it depends what how they beat them. Like, how okay. you know, like a lot of it's – like, if they win a close game, I, I think they jump up, you know, 35. They're probably like 35 maybe, 36. They jump up. They jumped five spots beating USF last night. Yeah, but they beat USF by double the amount of points they were supposed to. And it was a, it's because their defensive performance was so good. Yeah. Like, that's why. I mean, this based on efficiency. But the, the point I wanted to make is that if you look at the, the metrics, you, you would view, based on the, the bracketology and the way people talk about the AAC, the AAC, the common denominator is, oh, the AAC is having a down year. They're a one-bid. They're probably going to be a one-bid. There's a good chance they're going to be a one-bid league. The reality is, metrically, the AAC is as good as it's ever been. Right. They just and, – and, I like, they like the fact that the Mountain West has a better shot at getting multiple tournament bids than the American is a joke. Like, that's my – my point is Memphis has – in Memphis has proven that is it is at the very least the second best team in the AAC, and I think with the strength of the league, that should be good enough in my mind. I don't know why, you know, I, I do know why, but ultimately, like the Mountain West has three or four teams at the very top that are all really good that have all become metric darlings because they've beaten up on the weaker half of the league, and like my point is the American is getting kind of a raw deal, it feels like, because its bottom half is better than other leagues' bottom halves. Right. And so it's, you know, like, 
it's ECU is knock knocks off Houston and Tulsa knocks off Memphis and you know Wichita has lost I think to UCF um and so it's just it it feels like and it, it brings me back to the league office and um I've had no like I know there's some Memphis fans who like don't feel like the American is not the greatest league. You know, there's a lot of complaining about football officiating about playing favorites to the, you know, the, you know, whether it's UCF and football or this past week, Houston and basketball, but overall in my four years in Memphis, I felt like the league is, you know, I actually think it's a solid league. Um, you know, it's proven to be the best group of five league in football. Um, it's, it's been for football. It's been a great league for Memphis. I think yeah. um, in basketball, it hasn't lived up to its potential overall, but I just think this year with basketball in particular, I think this has been an absolute train wreck for the league office. I think they've done a horrible job, uh, overseeing things. First off, you've got Taylor Eldridge of the Wichita Eagle did an interesting, uh, he went through it the league is going to end up finishing or playing 72.7% of its league games this year, Jason. Mm -hmm. There's no, of the other major seven conferences, the, the next lowest percentage is the big East who completed 82% of their conference games, but four finished over 90% and a few finished over 95%. So they're right there. The league has had has dealt with COVID outbreaks, has has had a worse uh, go of it with COVID outbreaks than any other major league in the country. And especially here late where we don't even know if SMU is going to be playing in the conference tournament. You've got Temple on pause right now. ECU's dealing with COVID issues. Memphis just emerged from its own COVID issues. Wichita hasn't been able to play a game in two weeks. Um, it's just been a disaster in that regard. Okay. Then you've got what happened last Friday where Kelvin Sampson and Houston got their way. And instead of playing a game against Memphis on Thursday, making up this postponed Memphis game, the league is allowing Houston to just not play it for no reason other than Houston doesn't think it's fair that Wichita State is playing a lot fewer games than them and is going to be able to win the conference regular season title. Um, so, but like, it's very clear, especially now as we get down to the nitty gritty here where Memphis is next four out SMU, even though they're on the bubble can't play. So I don't even know if they're a realistic option to make the NCAA tournament and Wichita. If you look at their metrics, I mean, frankly, I know Wichita is going to win the regular season title. They got to win the conference tournament to get in the NCAA tournament. So what the league did last week is they punished, they cut off at the kneecaps the one team that could actually get an at-large berth. It was in the league's best interest. Like take take out the fact that like you know like Houston fans like on Twitter, Houston fans have called me a homer, which I think most Memphis fans would agree. I'm not a I'm not usually a homer, but let's say let's say let's say that that's right that I'm just being a homer and saying it's unfair. You know what what it's unfair to Memphis. The reality is it's best for everyone in the league except for, I guess, maybe Houston, for Memphis to have played Houston twice in the regular season. So the league messed that up. 
total. I mean, I just don't like, I know the Houston, you know, they're citing this rule of if you have a game canceled or postponed due to COVID, the, uh, you know, the team that didn't have the COVID issues can flip the game to its own game, but that's only if the game isn't rescheduled and the league from what we could tell was trying to reschedule the game and ultimately just let Houston get its way. Would you say that's correct? Yes, that's the crux of the entire argument. It's not it's not where the game Sunday is being played. It's that, that the opportunity to reschedule the game was there and they didn't. They just didn't. They didn't reschedule the game for no like and 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 we we've been trying for days to find out why and they won't answer us. No, Mike Oresco has, I mean, he's, he's not talking. Um, and that gets, that gets me back to my original point is so they, they've messed that up. And now here you've got this issue where the American is not a one bid league. It, like metrically, like I know, I guess in terms of wins, it looks like it and the bracketologists feel it is, but metrically it's just as good, if not better than it's been the past few years when it's gotten multiple bids. And where is the league going out nationally and telling people about this? We've heard nothing from them. They, um, I, I just think they've shot themselves in the foot over and over again. I think it's been like, I actually think Mike Oresco is a pretty good commissioner, especially in football. Like I find it really noble that he just, he keeps running his head against that brick wall, power six, power six. Like it's great for the league. It, it comes off sometimes as, you know, overkill. But you know right. what? I'd rather I'd rather err on that side than not saying nothing at all, which is what he's done this basketball season. They've just basically accepted that they're being viewed as a one-bid league, and I think there are metrics and, I guess, narratives that you could push that, you know, maybe it doesn't change anything, but I'd at least like to see the league trying to support right. these basketball teams, whether it's Wichita, SMU, or Memphis. I, I just think – and instead – they cut Memphis off at the kneecaps. They, you know, and like ultimately Memphis can still earn its way into the NCAA tournament. But I, I think we'd feel a lot better if they got two shots at, at Houston than if they then the, just the one they're guaranteed right now. And the league should feel that way too. And that's yeah. that's the problem. I mean, they're the league's silence on this entire situation, uh, to me, screams that they believe that Houston as a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament is better than Houston as a four seed and your league being a multi-bid league. You'd rather be a single bid league and have a two or a I three. I don't even think it goes that deep. I think they just, I think they wussed out and didn't want to, didn't want to upset Kelvin Sampson. Well, then, then if, if it ends up costing them, they're, they're, this is going to be yeah. something that they'll be able to – that everybody will be able to point toward and say, this is the, this is the main reason why you're a one-bid league. Well, and my other problem is that the, 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 the one reasoning they've kind of give, given by as well is there's just a lot of moving parts. It's COVID. It's whatever. It's like, well, you guys are having way more issues with COVID than anyone yeah. else. Like – your teams. And so like, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, but like, ultimately it's because the league for whatever reason has not dealt with COVID as well as other leagues. I just don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to hear this. Oh, it's yeah. too complicated. It's too many moving parts. 
because it wasn't. That's, that's exactly right. Us sports writers figured it out pretty quickly how you could how you could you know reset the schedule in a fairly equitable manner and play the game. We we said it last week on the podcast. Play the games that are actually important. You know, like Memphis USF last night was not an important game. Memphis Wichita State would have been an important game. The second yeah. Memphis Houston game would have been an important game. Wichita SMU. Now that one's a little more complicated because SMU has you know they haven't played in a, over a month at this point, um, and so that's you know that that ultimately. But uh, it just felt like there were very easy, reasonable ways for them to deal with this in a manner that would have been uh, much better for the league. Frankly, not yes, it would have been better for Memphis, but in this instance, what's better for Memphis is better for the league. Now, all that being said, mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's really much to do about nothing because it's all ancient history for the most part. It, what's done is done. It is what yeah. it is. Pick your cliche. Uh, the 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 here and now is that Memphis has a road game at eleven a.m. on Sunday against number seven. nine, number seven, number seven, number seven in the coaches' poll or whatever they are, uh, Houston Cougars. Um, and, and it's, it's, I don't know if, I don't know if we can say it's for all the marbles, but it's, well, it's, it's the biggest game of Penny Hardaway's college coaching career. That's for sure. Are they going to win? Who's going to win? Oh, I don't know. I mean, they're going to have like, I, here's what I'd say. You're going to have to play better than they have in these three games since they got back from the pause. I think, I I don't think the way I know they, they've, they were in, you know, they, they, they were in control of the two lane and since. Cincinnati games for basically the entire game and and same with the USF game. Like they were in control of all three of these games, but like, I don't know, like they've been able during this, it goes back to, to my point of ultimately during this streak, they beat a bunch of teams they were supposed to be. And I, and I, I don't think that should diminish what they've done because winning as many games in a row as you, as they have, regardless of opponent is a significant accomplishment, but all these turnovers and missed free throws that we've been, you know, we've, we've harped on, but at the same time, they haven't cost them. I just don't see how you can do that and beat Houston at Houston. Like, I don't think you can turn the ball over 19 times and shoot uh, like 60% from the free throw line, which is what they did against USF. I don't think you can do that and beat a team that has, that has a 24 game home winning streak and has lost one AAC game since the Fertitta Center or Fertitta Center opened three years ago. Like I just don't think you're going to be able to get away with that. So yeah. that would be my thinking. Like, do I think they they are capable? Yes. I don't think Houston is some unbeatable juggernaut. They've shown that over the course of the season. They've lost ECU, they lost to Tulsa, and they lost to Wichita State. I mean, if you look at them, this is going to be a game of contrast. I mean, Houston plays at one of the slowest paces in the country. Memphis plays at one of the fastest bases in the country. Houston is extremely efficient. One of four teams, I believe, in the country ranked in the top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, the others are Michigan, Illinois, and Gonzaga. Um, and But if you look at them, if you can hit outside shots against their defense, because they're, they're, they are not going to give you a lot in the paint. But if you can hit outside shots and you can and you can they are not some offensive juggernaut where 
they are prone, just like Memphis is at times, to cold spells on offense. That you know, Quentin Grimes in particular, when that guy's rolling, Houston is really hard to beat. Yeah. When Quentin Grimes is is off, they can lose. They're beatable. And we saw that last year when yeah. Memphis played at Houston. In the first half, when Quentin Grimes was, you know, pretty quiet, Memphis went into halftime with a lead. In the second half, when Quentin Grimes took over the game, Memphis ended up losing by seven. And so I guess that's how I look at it. It's going to be a game where Houston isn't going to go out and lose this game for you. you got to beat Houston. Um, and so to do that, I think, you know, yes, for instance, Boogie Ellis is going to have to keep playing like he's playing, shooting like he's shooting, giving them the boost he has coming out of this COVID pause because he's the one guy who has shot the ball consistently well since they've come out of this second COVID pause. But, like, I also think, like, you can't have Landers Nolly going scoreless for a whole half like he did against USF. You can't have DJ Jeffries kind of be invisible like he's been at times coming off the bench. You're going to need Lester Quinones to shoot the ball, to play offensively the way he did against USF, not the way he did against Cincinnati where he was – like, you need all those guys hitting shots against a team like Houston. You need – you know, Houston has Fabian White back down low. That gives them a boost down low. But ultimately, like, one of the things Memphis has done really well lately is they're just killing teams on the glass. Yep. And with, that's what Houston does to teams. They, You know, when Houston is at its best, they are out-toughing you and out-rebounding. All those physical, those physical parts of the game, they are owning those. And so, like, I don't expect Memphis to dominate the glass against Houston, but if – Musa and Malcolm Dandridge and DeAndre Williams can neutralize Houston on the glass, can go toe to toe with them, so to speak, you know, that it's going to take that, you know, and then yes, it's, I think it's also going to take, you know, rather than turning the ball over 30% of the time, turn it over 20% of the time. Like if you look at when Memphis beat Houston last year at FedEx forum, they, they, they had like 15 or 16 turnovers, which is for normal teams bad, but for Memphis is like not bad. Like that's pretty good. And they turned it their turnover percentage was 22.9%, which again, for a normal team is actually like over 20% is pretty bad for Memphis. When they're below 25%, that's like, it feels like great. It feels like house money. Uh, unfortunately, um, yeah. They're over their head at that point. So, like, if you can keep it to, like, a 20% turnover rate instead of 30% turnover rate, you know, if you can you know, if you know, can win the battle on the glass, if you can hit double-digit three-pointers, and, like, I think this team's very capable of doing all of that, but it's not going to be easy. So, I mean, I certainly think they can win. I just don't think Houston is that good. I don't think Houston is as good as the computer numbers say they are. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and we've talked about this a bunch of times over the last couple of years about just how well Memphis matches up with Houston. I mean, mm-hmm. Houston is a big, athletic, aggressive, energetic team. So is Memphis. Yeah. Uh, very similar, very similar styles. Um, and, and I'm just going to echo what, what you said. I, I would like to see Memphis in the neighborhood of like 12 to 14 turnovers. They can limit, mm-hmm. if they can limit their turnovers to like, you know, 12, 14, somewhere in there. Uh, if they can shoot even just 75% from the line, uh, from the free throw line, now they got to keep getting to the line. That's 
key too. You can't just get to the line, you know, 10 times. You got to get there uh, closer to 20 um, and, and, and make your shots. That's, that's key. And if you can get somewhere around 40% from three, then, then I feel good about their chances. Now those, that's a lot of caveats. That's a lot yeah. of ifs. No, they're gonna have to play. Uh, they're gonna have to play their best game of the year. Let's just let's just be yeah. frank. Like to be to win this game, they're gonna have to play like their their best game of the year to this point is the Wichita win at home. And really, that was just an awesome second half. If more than anything, right. like it was a just an unbelievable second half when they just beat the crap out of Wichita State on both ends of the floor. Um, I, I think it's gonna take that type of effort um, the whole game to beat Houston. I really do. Yeah. I, you know, and they're capable. I think they're capable of it. I mean, and I wouldn't be surprised though. I, I think with the way Houston plays pace wise, like when they beat Houston last year, it was a 60 to 59 win. I wouldn't be surprised if we're the final scores in that 60 to 70 range, you know, yeah. like I think it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight. Um, and we'll see. I mean, it's going to like either team could, you know, Obviously, Houston is the favorite. Um, they're probably going to be motivated from the sense that, you know, because of the controversy related to the scheduling stuff, Memphis is obviously going to be motivated. Now, Memphis, we haven't even mentioned this, like, looks like Memphis is not going to have Alex Lomax again in this game, they, but they haven't had him the last two games. And honestly, like, I, you'd obviously rather prefer to have Alex than not have him. But right. I think they've shown in these two games – I don't think it. I don't think we're going to look back on this Houston game, and if they lose, go man. If they had Alex Lomax, like it's not meant to diminish Alex at all, right. but I just think the way Boogie's playing, the the depth they have, they can overcome it. They can over, you know, having one guy out, they can overcome it. Um, I just don't think that's going to be the reason why they lose the game. Is Alex Lomax isn't playing, even though again, you'd prefer to have Alex than not have. Him. Absolutely, um, yep, I agree. So um, just going to be, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, this is what you, I mean, listen, it's not what you want as a college basketball fan because it's nerve wracking as all get out being on the NCAA tournament bubble. But this is, I mean, this is, if they can pull this off, this is the, these are the most fun stories during March is when a team goes on a run like this and creates like this magic. And they're on the verge of doing that. If it, like, it's going to feel like this is a magical run if they can pull off this win over Houston this weekend. It really is. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. Exciting stuff. I hope you are too. We'll have plenty of coverage over on commercialappeal.com and we'll be back next week ahead of the AAC tournament. Uh, Till next time I was Mark. I was joined by Jason. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we're talking about a win next week. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.